This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. They got married on a beautiful island. The accommodation was more sort of holiday camp vibe. Think the parent trap, but Swedish style, like beautiful building. To see them all, you know, in the bosom of friends and family and what great people they know and have grown up with, it was just heavenly. Well done, Caro. Three weeks away and you haven't dropped the bundle there at all. Celebrants can be a bit wacky sometimes, can't they? Oh, there's an eccentric streak. Mm. Remember Jane Clifton at Checkers? Yes, that's right. She started doing (laughs) stand-up. Well, this bloke said, I could tell you to kiss the bride, but I think you've kissed her many times before and you don't need me to tell you to kiss each other. You'll know when the time is right. Because Rose was saying, do we kiss at any point? (laughs) And, of course, Archie stopped all of our hearts from beating when he sang Took the Children Away. I'd never heard lyrics like that. This was a profound moment and it changed my life. And thank you, Archie, for that remarkable piece of music. You know, if you're going to apologise, and Damien Hardwick, you know, it wasn't a criminal act, but to direct a loudmouth, sort of expletive-ridden tirade at a footballer and sort of say that I'm passionate about my players and what makes me good makes me bad, you know, I, I didn't buy that. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi everyone, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. It is another week and another episode, in fact 229th episode today and welcoming back to the panel in her post-Italian glow mode, Caroline Wilson. The panel. Well, it's you, Jane and I. We're a panel now. Great to see you, Corrie. Hello, Miss Jane. It's great to be back. Very sad to leave um, beautiful Italy, a large portion of my beautiful family, but you know, Melbourne, not a bad place to come home to. Well, I'm glad you feel like that, Carol, because the weather's been shot and we're all pretty depressed. But look, that's okay. <laughs> we're not jealous. We're just envious and, and we're glowing in your glow. Um, welcome to everybody, of course, our, and our sponsors, Red, uh, Prince Wine Store and Red Energy. Thank you very much again for your ongoing support. And a little bit of housekeeping, Caro. Firstly, a plug for our movie night. Now, don't forget, Caro, I hope it's in your diary from before you went to uh, Rose's wedding. Tuesday, August 16. Etched Correct. in my memory. 5 p.m. for a glass of wine and a 5.30 p.m. start. And we are screening at the Palace Como in South Yarra. Caro and I will be there welcoming you all. And then we'll all sit down and watch the wonderful Emma Thompson in a new movie called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. And if you would like to book... You can go into the show notes and you can click, click, click through to the booking service there or you can email Miss Jane at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and she will give you a hand in how to book tickets. So ticket sales are a little slow, but we want everybody to get behind that because that will be a great event. I think it's going to be a terrific film and we're giving a bit of dough to the um, wonderful gang at Breast Cancer Network of Australia and um, I'm looking forward to that, Caro. I am too, Corrie, and um, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping, but um, while I was away, the mice played and you had Craig Hutchison in here and Felicity Brown um, tells us via email that she laughed out loud and loved the Neighbours Kylie anecdote, which had her laughing out loud as well. (laughs) Um, Jane Jane and I, I don't know whether you caught up with it, Hutchie admitted that in the mid-80s he had written, I think it was the third episode, Jane, he said, of of Neighbours. He was absolutely struck by Charlene 
the beauty of Charlene, played by Kylie Minogue, the curly-headed girl in overalls. So he wrote her a fan letter. He was 11. Oh. And three days later, he got one back from the Nunawading Studios. Oh, that's hysterical. An autograph. <laughs> and she dons the, An she dons the um, right. overalls again, I gather. Only has about two lines and it sounds like she's a bit transposed into the um, story, but good to see her back. Good I'd to love see her to know whether. Did Hutchie admit on the sounding board, Jane, that he'd actually watched the final episode of Neighbours? Did not admit that. No. No. Did you ask him? <laughs> no. I bet he cried if he did. And um, Felicity also points out that Joanna Lumley, before she rose to prominence with Jennifer Saunders and Dawn French and her travel documentaries, she, she did one from Berlin on Sunday. Oh, wasn't it great? No. Oh, I you didn't it, like we it? We were disappointed. Oh, how about the lady with the hats? Yeah, the lady with the hats. Oh, but, I you loved know, it. The Western sort of Rodeo storyline, like... <laughs> Was it just a, a an advertorial? Like, why would you want to see that in Berlin? I, well, I I just had a sense of it being sort of wacky culture in Berlin, and I've never been to Berlin, so she really captured no, that me, eccentric. No, me neither. And a few of my children on recent travels all met up there, and they always go a back few. there. They How love many it. Do you have? Well, two of the three went to Berlin, and <laughs> Rose has been there, and they adore it. Now, Ned spent a bit of time there on school trips and other trips, and. They love Berlin. But anyway, I've never been. I, I wanted more culture and more history, and that happened a bit at the end. But anyway, um, um, Felicity makes a point that, of course, he was Purdy, the crime-fighting fashion plate in The Avengers with Patrick McNeil. She was indeed, We do remember Felicity. the old Purdy. I overlooked that when I was doing a rundown of her CV. I was very young when The Avengers was on television. Uh, Diana Rigg, my mother, had a real thing about, and I think she was the first female well, in the we Avengers. we were the same age. It was sort of mid-70s, so we would have was been... Was it? Yeah, well, according to Felicity, I actually thought it was a bit earlier than that too. Mm, I thought I was too young for it. Anyway, well done, Felicity, for pointing that out. And also to Anna Webb, a friend of the pod, she said, thanks for the great screen tip. My husband and I are addicted to the split. As you say, it's not relaxing viewing, but the writing and acting is superb and is brilliant. It brilliantly captures the essence and intricacies of sisterly bonds. Yes, I feel I... qualified to say that as I have three sisters, says Anna. I um, I don't have any sisters, Anna, but I did love the Defoe sisters and the relationship with the mother. And, of course, if you haven't seen The Split, it is on ABC iview and we've all watched it. I think everybody I've run into has, has well, listened to you. I binge-watched it the minute it came yeah, on yeah. and I, I was so happy. It was a really good one to get me through um, that early month of winter. So let's put winter to one side and let's talk Europe and let's talk your travels. The purpose of this trip for you, Caro, was the wedding of your daughter, Rose. Rose and Oscar, as many of our potties know, and Sunday, they live in Amsterdam, but the wedding was in Sweden. Can you tell us why the wedding was in Sweden and where it was? And have you fallen in love with Stockholm like I love Stockholm? Yeah, no, I have. I'd never been there. I, my only pre previous Swedish foray was mid-80s to cover a Davis Cup tie in Malmo in Sweden, which, you know, was not that memorable, to be honest, but um, it was a fun time. But... Stockholm is beautiful. The wide, you know, we, we had a our first, we arrived, had a weekend in Amsterdam, caught up with some lovely friends, beautiful canal trip, um, picnic one day. They very quickly um, escaped Amsterdam and that terrifying Schiphol airport, which was just unrecognisable in terms of people oh, and wanna, crowds and queues. I want to talk about travelling oh, in my, a minute. Caro, tell everybody why it was in Sweden. Because, um, well, they've got a huge affinity with Sweden. That they, they got engaged in Sweden on New Year's Eve back in 2020. Um, Oscar's father, Johan, is Swedish. 
He's lived in Sydney for many, many years, but goes back there a fair bit. Two of his sisters have been living, well, one is still living there. The other one's um, moved back to Australia, but um, Anna, but Jessica and her partner, Thomas, and their baby Peggy live in Stockholm. So a lot of family, a lot of friends. They love it. They love the archipelago, which is, um, you know, which I'll talk about later, but they got married on an island quite far north on the archipelago called, pronounced Lida, but like Lido, think Bozskags, um, a beautiful island with... The, not not Sandham. Not Sandham, no, and not Grinda, where they were originally going to get married, which is a bigger island with a bigger, smarter, beautiful hotel, sort of think um, antlers on the wall, that sort of thing, with a big open fire. But this is a beautiful island too. Um, it was probably... The accommodation was more sort of holiday camp vibe. Think the parent trap, but Swedish style, like beautiful buildings. Just the beautiful yellow main building when you pull in, a gorgeous little hut right on the shoreline um, on the rocks as you pull into the island, which is where the married couple spent um, the wedding eve and the wedding night. Um, it was just stunning, Corrie. Wildflowers everywhere, which Anna, Oscar's sister, used to great, um, with great aplomb to decorate the room um, where we had this beautiful dinner. It was a small wedding, 75, 80 people, um, some lovely um, Swedish friends who told us a bit about the history of the archipelago. Um, Corrie, it was just beautiful. It was just beautiful. We had a few nights in Stockholm where there was a bit of a rehearsal dinner, in inverted commas, where all the family got together. Um, a lot of my family was over there from Sydney. It was it was one of the most beautiful weddings. Obviously, um, it was, for me, the most emotional wedding I've ever been to because it was my daughter's wedding, my first wedding of a, um, a child. And, you know, just after the last couple of years, it was so lovely to see them amongst all of their friends because they've lived overseas now for three years. I haven't seen a lot of their Melbourne friends and hadn't met a lot of Oscar Sydney friends. Um, to see them all, you know, in the bosom of friends and family and what great people they know and have grown up with. And um, some of Rose, not all of Rose's gang could come from Melbourne, obviously, and a couple of her really good friends have just had babies and couldn't come. But those who were there really, you know, put their best foot forward, tied it on. And this beautiful island, there was a super moon, there was a rainbow, the sun sh that rained on the day of the wedding and it had been beautiful weather, the sun shone for the ceremony down by the water on this beautiful ramp. It was just heavenly. And one of your many gifts to your daughter and son-in-law was you said, we'll have the baby for the night. So you had Sunday for a sleepover on the night of the wedding. How, yes. did, how did that go, Caro? We were, we were in the baby area. We had a lovely big um, sort of, well, it looked like a sort of a, a big room with a big table in the middle and a lot of hanging space for dresses. So most of Rose's girl gang hung their dresses there and all got ready together. That was where the bride got ready. Clem was doing makeup. Clem, the makeup artist, was doing – Clem was DJ makeup artist, MC. Um, she oh, had uh, – Aunt extraordinary she had, here. She had a lot of jobs, <laughs> bridesmaid. Um, and um, she got us all ready in there. We had Sunday also there in the Porticot. Um, Sunday's little Swedish cousin Peggy, half Swedish cousin Peggy, was sleeping there as well. It was fairly lively the night before the wedding and the night. Can you night tell off. me who the golden retriever was who's popped up in just about every photo that you were putting oh, on our WhatsApp? That's group? Albus. That's um, Oscar's sister's dog who came over from Stockholm for every the wedding. Every single photo just seems to be in Albus there. Albus is part of the family, I tell you. 
And he's a lovely dog. He's a beautiful dog. So sweet. He was not allowed in the baby room, but somehow seemed to sneak in a lot. And one other guest at the wedding had, um, there was part, there were huts everywhere. So the grown-ups had quite nice rooms in beautiful house, those beautiful yellow houses like on sand. Um, yeah, with the red um, and the red roofs. And, the, and the, most of the kids were in more cabins. There was a party cabin. There was a family cabin. It was very, very funny. Anyway, um, Look, I met some wonderful people. Um, I reconnected with some wonderful old friends. And, yes, Albus was there, uh, present all the way through. It never really got totally pitch dark. And it doesn't get dark till about 10, 30, 11 o'clock and, and not pitch dark at all. Few few all-nighters were pulled. Um, some wonderful photographs. The official ones we um, haven't got back yet, but a great friend, Toby, did that, did all the photographs. And you had a and bit of an early start looking after Sunday in your yeah, bedroom. Sunny woke up at 4.30 and I great. think I, I got to Love sleep. That. I got to sleep at about 1.30. I I Thank te- you. I was texting child. you, I think, at about you 1.30. Were, you were sending me all of these. I thought, and I was doing the time difference in my head thinking, well, she's obviously come home from the wedding, made herself a cup of tea, got on the chat with me. And um, and it's and, and she can't sleep because of course I couldn't sleep in Sweden either because it's never dark, and I knew that you were looking after Sunday and I thought oh just you wait. We did. We, uh, <laughs> Rose had hired a lovely babysitter who was a friend of Jessica's, her sister now sister in law, and that was great because um, she came in at about two a.m. when Sunny first woke up and sang to her. Look, it was just an unusual few days, and there was a little baby area. One of their friends, a lot of friends, had bought their babies. Uh, they said, oh, you should have joined us over in the baby area. We were there at 5.30 this morning, you know, <laughs> eat, eating boiled eggs. And But, you know, no, I, um, Brendan actually took her for a big walk with Tony, my brother-in-law, and, um, oh, look, she was, and she was so sweet. She had a little, this gorgeous little white sort of crocheted um, and embroidered Stella McCartney little outfit on and, um, she was very oh, joyful. Day. We, she cried before the wedding, but she had, was on her best behaviour for the actual ceremony. Oh, you little darling! And speaking of dresses, of course, you knocked all of our socks off with Rose's dress choice of outfit. What a beautiful bride your daughter was, and such a gorgeous pattern. Wasn't it beautiful? Oh. Yeah, it was an absolute. Um, I, I think my sister and her Oggs and her found that online. They were doing a lot of talk in late January, early February. And it was all a big secret, but um, I think a couple of close friends had seen it. And it looked even more beautiful on the day than I ever could have imagined. And Anna, again, had done this beautiful, um, what are they called? Bouquet. Bouquet. (laughs) The bouquet was spectacular. Rose had brought some wonderful earrings and the shoes were... um, Shoes she'd worn as a bridesmaid to one of her best friends, Jackie, a few years earlier. And Jackie was there, which was so lovely, who's one of Sunday's godmothers. And so the dress was green was, and white. Yeah. And the wedding was, as you say, down by the water, but surrounded by wildflowers and wild grasses and, and just quite a uh, quite a beachy rural scene, really beautiful. And Rose just blended in. She looked like a fairy from the bottom of the garden that had just come up to have a bit of a party. She did. She did look stunning. And um, and um, Oscar wore a really heavenly suit. And the celebrant who caught the boat in, there's a close – we went from came from Stockholm and it was a three-and-a-half, four-hour trip where you just two of these beautiful islands. And that was actually great because you got to know everyone and, you know, there was a kiosk. You could have beers and cups of tea and buy food and – Really beautiful way of seeing the archipelago, but um, the um, there was a closer town where um, which only took about fifteen minutes by ferry, and the celebrant was hysterical. He does a lot of weddings there, I gather. He's done weddings there before. 
one of the more unusual celebrants I have ever. And they're all, you know, celebrants can be a bit wacky sometimes, oh, can't oh, they? there's an eccentric streak. Mm. Remember and Jane Clifton at Checkers? Yes, that's she right. She started doing stand-up. <laughs> well, this bloke said, um, I could tell you to kiss the bride, but I think you've kissed her many times before. You've kissed many times before and you don't need me to tell you to kiss each other. You'll kiss each other. You'll know when the time is right. Because Rose was saying, "Is it? do we kiss at any point? <laughs> anyway, he was um, – and then this lovely band came in, um, African band. Speeches were great. Dinner was beautiful. This beautiful fish. It was uh, – It was. they said it was um, some sort of perch. Anyway, with the baby Did ball, you have your herrings? We had no herrings. And, we, the, and the new potatoes with dill sauce? The new potatoes – in Sweden, I like something I have never mm. tasted. Un- isn't it an amazing dish? I don't it, know how they do it. Do you think they actually par fry them? A bit? No, well, the night There's before, about the them night in before, Sweden, after the welcome drinks, we had hamburgers um, later in the night with them um, instead of with fries with these baby bo- baby potatoes, and they were a bit par fried. But normally they just boil them. It, it, it's the fact that they are new; they are literally new potatoes. And even um, the rehearsal dinner, there was a beautiful, I think it was salmon or trout served, again, with just a beautiful salad and the new potatoes. You know, you can imagine, Clem, that's it. Simple from now on. Yeah, We've right. got to stop overcomplicating <laughs> our food. It's got to be simple. The food well, isn't, was but isn't amazing. A, isn't that a, but isn't she absolutely right? And also we go to so many... We go to so many lengths to have, oh, I think we need three salads on the table and we need a couple of different potato dishes. Keep it simple, everyone. Keep it simple. With Rose's dress, Cara, it was a really lovely nod to your wedding dress. So you and Brendan were married in 1989, but your dress is timeless. Potties, I was was with Cara and her mum when we chose the fabric at Pina's shop in South Yarra. I called you. I said, you have to. I said, I need your help. And you thought I had a was having a premarital crisis. That's right. You said, don't ring me and leave me a message like that again. I thought you were going to, you know, the wed- Brendan well, had broken I up was, the wedding or something. Also, I was about seven or eight months pregnant. So, um, you know, anything could have happened with the shock of it all. I wasn't sure what, <laughs> oh. but, but meet me in South Yarra. And in Pina's shop was this beautiful uh, white or cream background with green goddess lilies on it. Big pattern, big green goddess, not baby It was organza. Yeah. It was beautiful. And you said, what do you think? I went, oh, God, I think you should absolutely wear that. But no veil, like you have to keep it simple. What are you going to do on your head? So a multitude of different issues then emerged. But the dress that was made for you out of that fabric is just, for me, probably one of my top two or three bride's dresses that I've ever been close up and connected to. Oh, thanks, Corey. Well, uh, Carol, I've told you that 50,000 times. I know. Times. It's nice of you to say it um, It was funny having going to, to dress, um, to try on dresses, uh, to um, to the dressmaker with you because as it got closer to the wedding, I just got fatter and fatter. And at one stage, the, the dressmaker, was it Mary? I can't remember. Was that her name? And she said to me, oh, you don't have to try on the dress this month. No, it was Claire Home. <laughs> oh, Claire, was it? Claire, yes. that's right. I was going to say Mary. I don't know where I got Mary from. Claire Home. And um, and then, of course, I had Will. And then a couple of weeks later, you were married, um, which was just And lovely. you were smaller but lactating. <laughs> lactating at the front of the Windsor Catholic Church, if I recall, right in yeah. front of the priest, which was at St. That Mary's, that's well, it. Well, I, I became very emotional, and sometimes that can trigger it off. I had to race home, of course, to feed. But, look, it's a beautiful dress, and Jane has been rummaging through the files, and she's found a couple of beautiful photos of your wedding dress and roses as well. So we will put those on the Don't Shoot pod 
Instagram account, everybody. So have a look at that. So, Caro, then you had another wedding initially, which Rose, of course, was a bridesmaid at as well. And then you had um, some family time initially before you flew home. You've had a wonderful holiday. I want to talk about travel observations. And we did this a couple of weeks ago with Anna Barry, Anna from the Op Shop, when she so kindly filled in your position there on the other side of the microphone. And Anna was just saying that she was not match fit, that the two years of not travelling, not match fit, but also this slight hysteria and stress, whether it's an airport or a railway station. How did you find travelling? What are your observations of the world on the move? Certainly airports are tough. And we had a few dramas, um, you know, um, Oscar had marked Sunday's passport, his own pass. He had two. Pa- they're both. They've both got Euro passports. He'd marked his Euro passport, Sunny, and we got to the airport to fly to Sweden, and he had two passports, and Sunny didn't have one. Sunday didn't have one, so he did a sort of a baseball slide through this. The queue was one point five kilometres long. Um, I think I think purloined someone else's cab, went home, found the right passport, got back again. Because they had a baby in a pram, we let them push in. Uh, people didn't mind when Brendan and I, we'd been in the queue for an hour and a half by this point. It looked, the airports are tough. You have to be everywhere three and a and half hours early. And you made the plane. Early. Can we just add the, the climax of the story We was... made the plane. We made the plane. And look, they had, how they did it, those two, they had so much going on. They did a brilliant job. They really did. But um, um, avoid airports at all costs. I didn't find train stations stressful at all. They were wonderful. And, you know, there, there was no alternative but to fly from Amsterdam to Stockholm and then we had to fly to Puglia where the second wedding was. And luggage was... issues, Caro? No luggage issues for us. We didn't lose any luggage. It was all wonderful. Unfortunately, Rose? Rose did leave her cabin luggage on a plane in Rome which had her bridesmaids dress for the second wedding in, and every item of clothing she'd packed for Sunday for the next 10 days, two weeks. So um, Sunday had the clothes she was wearing, which at that point I think were covered in bolognese. So um, that was fun for me because I found it in Lecce where the wedding was, I found a beautiful little baby shop that was on sale. So I just went nuts and bought her a whole new wardrobe, you know, bathers and sun hats and all and, in ones and, and dresses. And somebody loaned... Rose, a beautiful dress. She actually looked gorgeous as the bridesmaid. Well, yeah, her, Rose's friend Jackie, I'd caught up with in Monopoly, another beautiful Puglia, Puglia town, and um, she was wearing this gorgeous dress. I said, where did you get that? She said, I bought it in Stockholm when we were there. So when we couldn't find Rose another dress, the dress we did find, the shop wasn't open in time, blah, 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 um, she was able to borrow Jackie's. And the bridesmaids were instructed to wear white, so it didn't have to be matching. Thank the God. Lord. And she did have her shoes. So that was good. And sadly, no makeup, but that was borrowed, etc. Um, Sunday, of course, had the borrowed clothes and Clementine babysat, but I don't know if she'll the, ever get ha- that luggage back. Well, I was going to say, has it turned up? Well, no, she got a call when she was leaving the plane, but it was, it said Latv- a Latvian number. She ignored it, but it was a flight attendant telling her she had her luggage. Well, now it's at um, some airline it keeps moving around Rome and it's impossible to find. I think it's if you leave, if it's, you know, checked in luggage, it does eventually get back. Cabin luggage, not so easy. Oh, my goodness. So that's all a bit sad. But, look, we made the best of it. The wedding was wonderful. The second wedding in Lecce, her great friend Ali married her partner James. They've all. This was one of those weddings that's been put off for two years. It was just spectacular, beautiful Beautiful big family wedding, lots of friends from Melbourne, London, all around and, Europe. And, you and came, it's and fun. You, and you came back to Melbourne. What are your impressions of uh, of our very sick city? 
Well, yes, there's a lot of illness and, and there's a lot of illness picked up on international travel too. I mean, that's where, you you know, it's best to avoid airports and trains I just felt was so much better and more relaxing and everyone knows that anyway. But um, really trains have become the way to go and friends, you know, great friends who we caught up with on our travels had uh, deliberately tried to plan all their trips around trains. Um, Europe's still not super crowded. You can still get tables at most restaurants if you get organised. The galleries and museums are not as packed, but there are smaller queues. You didn't go to the Vasa Museum. I went to the ABBA Museum. <laughs> it was great. It was great. I meant to go, sadly. No, Benny I, and Bjorn or a 16th century. Oh, there were so many beautiful museums on that island. Boat that belonged to the King of Sweden. I, I walked past the Vasa. All the rest of the family went there. I actually got quite ill in Stockholm. I caught something and I was sick for a couple of days. So I didn't get there, but beautiful design shops, did as much as I could. There was a fabulous Andy Warhol exhibition that our friend Sal discovered. I found an Andy Warhol exhibition in a beautiful old church in Monopoly. There was, I mean, there was a lot of culture. There was some beautiful food, but... Um, yeah, I, I would say that um, it's there. Europe's there waiting for you now, and the airport well, we thing will hopefully all, die down. We all have to get better, though. Well, it's, so, it's, one, so one of the family travelled last week and, and came back from New Zealand and tested positive this morning. It's come through on their family WhatsApp. So even the little trip across the Tasman, you've got to yeah. be careful, everybody, wear your masks. Yeah, Rose and Oscar had a, a COVID a Sydney couple pull out a few days before they were flying out. They tested COVID. Um it's a pain in the neck and it's for people who don't get that sick, it's even more frustrating because you miss out on things. And I think at the moment, and it's not people are getting very sick, I know, and the the, not, the fatalities at the moment are terrifying and they say August is going to be worse than July. So, um, and I just fear that Europe will be the same when their winter rolls around as well. So it never, it's this never ending we cycle. We have to live with it. But please, everybody, do wear a mask when you're in public areas. It's just... It's it's so thoughtful for other people and also safe for yourself. But one little tip, Corrie, I'll just, you know, and I'd never been to Puglia and I can now see why people love it. We then drive across Italy to um, the Campania region of Italy below the Amalfi Coast and above Calabria. Just one good local tip, get to Cilento. The Cilento region of southern Italy is beautiful. Its beaches... Some of them are as beautiful or more beautiful than those on the Amalfi Coast. It is full of Italians and really not much else. Um, the grottos are there and just as beautiful. The cliff tops, the lighthouses and the food in the village we stayed in, the hilltop town we stayed in, was consistently the best food. Their local, their local dish is anchovies done every single way and they catch them with those special nets that the little ones can escape through and these big fat sardine-like things stay in the nets. Just spectacular. The best fritto mistos I've ever tasted. Buffalo mozzarella is their other special Don't specialty. Don't tell too many people. Just that whole Chilento region is, yeah, it is. beautiful. I agree. It's on Get the there. list for next year. So we like, might think um, Diane Chilento. That's how you spell it. Say it. Oh, Chilento, as you say. Yeah, yeah if, well, spell and say. If people don't know who <laughs> Diane Chilento is or was, she was the wife of Sean Connery and she's a famous Australian. Is she still alive? Is she still with us? Yeah, didn't she, didn't she open those wonderful um, temple up in um, North Queensland? Oh, yeah, because she's yeah. A, now a Buddhist or a practicing no, yogi not, or something yeah, like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. She, she did some great work up there. And, um, yeah, I interviewed so, her once. I should know whether she's alive or dead. Well, anyway, Diane, if you're listening. far more than Sean Connery's ex-wife, Corrie. <laughs> 
an actress in her own right as well. Um, she uh, died in 2011. Oh, thanks, Jane. Oh, gee, there you are, Carrie. You're really on. Uh, no, on I, no, I, I didn't say <laughs> yes or no, but she, she completely um, put rainforests of North yeah, Queensland, that's absolutely far North right. Queensland, on the map. Absolutely right. And they had a beautiful sun together. Um, so, listen, we might just chin chin now, and we'll ask Miles to join us. Let's have a drink, Carol, because it's been too long. Jane's brought the trolley in. Carol and I are going to have a drink, and Miles Thompson is here in the studio with us. Miles, it's lovely to see you. It's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's nice to be in the studio, out uh, of the cold. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, remember last week I said to everybody, Carol, we had a gift. Pete and I had a gift to give somebody rather special in our lives, and I asked Miles to put together because this friend loves Chardonnay. Could you put together an interesting box? Well, I think it has gone down like a treat. So thank you once again for personal curatorial Mm. services, Miles Thompson. If you want Miles to put a little box together, just give him a call. Prince Wine Store, of course, are one of the sponsors of our podcast and we love having Miles in each week for the Cocktail Cabinet. But we particularly love to hear about any giveaways or anything that you've got going. And you've got a little prize competition or giveaway for us. Yeah, I think we're giving away some uh, double passes to the introductory wine course at the store. Which we've done before we've and done have before. gone down yeah. very well. Yeah, and I think we put, we were, I was sort of discussing it with one of the bosses today and he was asking if everyone had gone through and I said, I think actually everyone that did it last year has been through the whole course. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, and some people bought some friends and... Could you also yeah, ask the really boss, nice. could he put on one for Caro and I? Of course. We probably need to do a wine course, Caro. Yeah, that'd be fun. We just talk rubbish. I think really. we, sh- I think we should go about. to the Why not get anything done? region of Italy and do it. <laughs> yeah. Miles, could you maybe take us Italy. Italy. Sure. a Don't Shoot the Messenger Prince Wine Store tour of, tour of Italy. Piedmont. Oh. So, Jane, what do people Sounds do? That's great. <laughs> so, basically, we want to find out, as we did last time, look, this does not have to be a trip to an incredible European destination. We want to hear about your favourite wine experience or wine moment. Perhaps you remember. Oh, thousands what, of them. Well, do you remember what you were drinking when someone special popped the question? Or, you know, we want a story here, people. So all you have to do is uh, find the link in the show notes, follow that through. There's a little form, fill in your details. And each week, yeah, two people off to your course. Yeah, awesome. Ah, that's great. Well, we, uh, we will um, be interested to see who writes the little note. And, Miles, you can read them out or Jane can read them out when they arrive Absolutely. in. And, Jane, how can people um, apply Via so the show notes. Via the show notes. And if you get stuck, that. don't forget to just contact email at don'tshootpod.com.au. Yeah, yeah. So, Miles, we're, we're just um, off piste a bit today. Yeah. We don't really know what you're talking about. Yeah. But I'm sure it's something interesting. Some some lighter reds, I thought, since there was a change in the season, sort of. <laughs> well. It feels, it feels. August, you feel as though there's an optimism about it, isn't yeah. it? It's just a little bit lighter. Miles, August so is the coldest month. The weather's been I shocking. What planet? What, what are you eating? I what know, are you but drinking? It's lighter, what are you smoking? It is, it is lighter. I've been out on the weekends a couple of times, like hiking and stuff, and it's been really lovely sunny weather. So I feel like maybe a little more exposed to the light. Well, I <laughs> and must I say, feel the like other day, a little better. The other day playing golf, I said, ladies, I can smell it. The first smell of wattle. Yeah. It was suddenly it hits you, doesn't it? And Daphne. And we saw lots of blooms and stuff when we were out, me and my wife. And so I think, you know, there's definitely, it's there. So anyway, I thought lighter reds 
sort Gee, of. You're optimistic. I know it's still reds though. <laughs> no, that, no, that, that's good. That's, that's good. Not, I'm not, you didn't I'm ask not me how I went on my golf tournament that I organised, Caro. How did you go weekend? on your golf tournament that you organised on the weekend? I didn't win, but it was nice of you to ask. What do you shoot? Would, um, I, did you I play was, well? I was, if no, that's not a private No, question. no. The first, the, on Saturday my round I was 26, I think, 26 or 27, and then had a bad day on Sunday, 24 yeah. points. Joan, who won the trophy for the third or fourth time, on, her, on Sunday, which was a really cold, windy day, not raining but freezing, she shot 40. Wow. Can you believe under the pre- I said you're good under pressure, Joan. Yeah. Joan, who also lost it's all about consistency, the, lost right? the tournament, the, lost the trophy the first year that we had it, lost it. Can't find it at home. Oh, so we had to get another it. one. <laughs> ordinary behaviour. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Tell us no. about the Reds. So two two Reds. So we'll start local. Um, the Yabby Lake Red Claw Pinot Noir. So we just tried the latest vintage of this, which is the twenty twenty one, I think. Uh, the other day with Tom Carson, who's the winemaker, who's a you know extremely well respected winemaker here, makes the wine at uh, Yabby Lake and Heathcote Estate. Um, so this is their entry level Pinot, so thirty three dollars a bottle. Um, comes off, I think, some bought fruit and some estate fruit things that don't go into their sort of more top tier bottlings. Twenty one, a great vintage. This has been really good the last few years, but the twenty one is an absolute cracker. And for 33 bucks, it's just one of, probably one of the best value Pinots floating around, particularly out of the Mornington. You know, they're not, they're not the cheapest Pinots. It's, it's a pretty no, they're sought not. after. Yabby yeah. Lake Red Claw. So Yabby Lake Red Claw, yeah, it's their uh-huh. interest. They've been doing it for a long time. You might have had this at my house, Carol, when we played Scrabble. I'm a real fan of Yabby Lake Red Claw. Entry level Pinot. Yeah. And it's, in fact, it's always I hard think to talk about I think entry you have, level, but um, it's. I think you've given me um, previous years Pinots I'd when say I asked so. for a box of Pinot Miles. It's it's a it's a it always makes it into that Pinot pack almost every year. It is always on on the floor at Prince. We just it's just such such a great wine, and it kind of has everything. You know, it's quite it's got lovely sort of this filigree sort of structure to it, beautiful sort of freshness, but heaps of like lovely sweet sort of Pinot fruit, that red cherry fruit, and that sort of soft spice. You know, very little oak on it. Um, really just such a great wine. So, I mean, Tom Carson, he's a fantastic winemaker. So, I mean, he knows what he's doing. Is it a bit, is it a bit odd at quarter to 10 in the morning that I'm, my mouth is watering as you describe that Pinot? That's probably, yeah, yes. (laughs) In short. Pavlov response, maybe. Let's, let's um, get (laughs) Corrie salivating even more. Have you got another light red for us? Yeah. So the other one that, you know, we talk about this at work, like what is Australia's sort of greatest variety and it's not obviously it's not from Australia. We've got all our grapes from from overseas, but you know Grenache is probably really one of the greatest. You know, and at the moment Australia is making some of the best Grenache it's ever made. Um, this is from from the McLaren Vale from Ophelian, who I think I might have talked about before. And this is also their entry level again. I, that ter- the best sort of term I can use here. So this entry level Grenache. And it's just a lovely sort of lilting, soft, lovely, sweet red fruits, very pure sort of style Grenache. If you like Pinot, you're probably going to like this wine a lot. It's it's very sort of Pinot-esque. has that lovely sort of soft sort of pepper fruit that you get from, from good Grenache and that lovely sort of top note sweet spice that you often get from McLaren as what well. What was the name of the winery? So Aphelion, so A-P-H-E-L-I-O-N, Aphelion. Great. And it's the Welkin Grenache. And, and it's also 2021. And what's the cost of and that it's bottle? 37 for that. So Fabulous. S- similar price point. So would, if you like those lighter styles. Would that ever styles, work um, served chilled? 
in the warmer months? Yeah, look, you, you could do it if you wanted. I, I think it's of a quality that you probably wouldn't want to do no. it. But then in saying that as well, you know, when they talk about serving red wines at room temperature, they're sort of talking about European room temperature. So really, you know, most red wines, you'd probably want to drink it like, 16 to 18 degrees anyway, which is on the cooler side of things. So yeah, that was some... if you're in a hot house, you know, and you've got a hot wine, I would always 100% suggest, you know, if it's, if your house is really warm and your wine's quite warm, you know, you could put it in the, a red wine, any red wine, put it in the fridge to, just to bring it down a little bit to get it more of a we had slightly a lot of cooler temperature. Chilled reds in the south of Italy. Yeah. Did you? But, but getting, um, and, and the whites were just superb, but you know, they don't sort of respect ice the way Aussies do, do they? I mean, well, you know, sometimes you just said, if, if we order a second bottle, they might have to say, look, sorry, but this one hasn't been refrigerated because they just don't keep that much in the fridge. And then you ask for them to come on ice and it'll come out with sort of granita type ice, sort of shaved yeah, ice. they won't chill it properly. They, and then but once they got to get our vibe, they were very good about it. But oh, there are, the, had there, to, there are those drinking Aussies again over on Table 7. I had yeah. to keep asking for the ice. We, we, have a, we have a service thing here in Australia, and I think we're very used to some, you know, generally pretty good service as far as particularly how wine served and cold cold, yep. cold beers, cold wines. I know. You couldn't, that sometimes you don't always get in Europe, for sure. You couldn't it's definitely fault the a thing service, but it was just interesting yeah, about Yeah, just about a different style of yep. sort of... There's nowhere you can go and buy ice. You sell buy it in sort of flat packs, you know. You, yeah. know, to, you know, the idea, the co- concept of an ice machine, which, you know, in hot weather, you're, you're pretty keen on. I did discover a new it. cocktail, though, Miles. Um, and it's you'll probably roll your eyes. It, it might sound a bit bogan, but it was beautiful. At some bars in our town, it was called a, an Amalfi spritz, but in fact, it was um, a limoncello spritz. Oh. So instead of Aperol, limoncello, limoncello right. with the Prosecco and the soda. Okay. Wow. Lots of ice. Delicious. I'm not a limoncello fan, so. Well, <laughs> It might not work really with Prosecco, either. though. Yeah, it might. Yeah, that's true. I'm not really either, but with Prosecco. Yeah. So how much are you putting? Ice, how much are you putting in a glass of Prosecco? A lot less than you would Aperol. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it's pretty sort of. It's pretty sweet. Quite sweet and strong. And sweet. So. Yeah, it works a treat. Oh, on, a, on a yeah, late that afternoon. Lemon zesty yep. and the freshness and absolutely oh, for sure. beautiful. If potties want to grab a, a bottle of the Yabby Lake Red Claw, or the Aphelion, did I pronounce that correctly? Aphelion. Aphelion. Yeah. Uh, Grenache right. from the McLaren Vale. How do we do that? So just jump onto the Prince Wine Store website, www.princewinestore.com.au, and there's a Don't Shoot the Messenger page on the on the banner there. You can click through to that, and I've got a list of all the wines we sort of talk about, which I'll update. All the things that we've sort of talked about are generally on there, and then you get 10% off when you put in the code MEWS on the checkout on your cart. Well, there's some bargains there, and they sound absolutely beautiful. Yeah, great um, wines. The, the Yabby Lake one, the Red Claw, sounds very, like very a, good for the price. Now, um, unbelievable just, for the money, I think. Just oh, gee, you've got really <laughs> it's, it's, good. You're giving it yeah, away. Twenty one's an excellent is an excellent vintage too. So um, you kind of got a perfect storm of great winemaker, great fruit, um, yeah. great vintage, sort of all culminating. So that, well, that's why go to Prince Wine Store for either the Ophelian Grenache or the um, Yabby Lake Red Claw. Oh, both. Like Pino. I'm going to. Both. And tell us also about your best wine adventure if you feel like it or experience and you can win two spots at a Prince Wine Store introductory wine course. Absolutely. Um, details on that are in on a link which you enter through our show notes. Well Miles. done, Caro. Three weeks away and you haven't dropped the bundle there at all. Well, Great to see you again. Nice to be here. Great to see you, Miles. Thank you. And now, of course, we're off to BSF, the land of books, screen and food. The happiest kingdom 
of them all. And this segment is presented by our friends at Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, Caro. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? Take it away. I imagine being on holiday, you would have read a couple of great books. I have, and a lot of them were picked up, um, I have to admit, at various hotels and along the way, and then other ones were left behind. Um, I did do a couple of really trashy, fun ones. but and, and this, the one I'm going to talk about, Malibu Rising, is a classic beach read, and it was just so enjoyable. I gather the people who made Little Fires Everywhere are making it into a mini-series. Um, it's by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who wrote Daisy Jones and the Six. That's right. One of my favourite books yeah, of a few and, years and ago. And in fact, Anna, Anna talked about Daisy Jones, I think, when Many she was on about ago. three years ago. Yeah, yeah, even longer, I reckon. Yeah. So this one um, was written by Taylor Jenkins Reid in 2021. It is a story of, like Daisy Jones and the Six, which sort of it could have been a bit about Fleetwood Mac. It's told, it's an historical perspective told in the present day and in the past. It's about a family, a very well-known family who come from Malibu, the, the Reaver family. And the father, the patriarch, who is a very, very bad father, is a famous singer, rock and roll, rock star, sort of think, um, um, you know, Liv Tyler's father. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Steve from Aerosmith. Steve Smith. Tyler from Aerosmith. And Gee, think, she's fast this morning. And the eldest daughter. Good on you, Jane. The eldest daughter, Nina, could almost be Liv Tyler, although he's not an actor. He's a swimsuit model and a surfer. They're a family of surfers who grew up in Malibu, a fascinating family <laughs> history. Um, it's a really interesting story about Malibu and what Malibu was like in the 1950s before it was discovered and when it was just a beautiful sort of surfy enclave, not even became a surfy enclave, but just um, a few a few local sort of fish shops, um, fish restaurants, but very daggy. Um, and then it became, of course, the Malibu that we know today. Every year, Nina Reaver, who has three siblings, holds a big party. Um, the party was in the lovely sort of shack she had by the sea. She's now, through her marriage to a famous tennis player, She's now got an incredible house on a cliff, which she didn't really want. She wanted to stay by the sea in a shack. She didn't want to be looking down onto the ocean. She wanted to be at the ocean. But she has this party Sounds every like year. Sounds like Byron Bay, it gets doesn't more it? And it, it, does, it is a bit. gets more and more out of hand every year. And on this particular night, all the family history crashes into each other. There are four siblings. Nina's the oldest. There are then two boys and a girl. They're not all full siblings, and you learn about that as the story goes on, and they're not all who they think who you think they are. It is fascinating. You can't put it down. I found it in Rome Airport because I'd just run out of things to read at the bookshop. They didn't have many English-speaking books, and most of them I'd read, or they were just too trashy. But I really recommend Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So there you go. With its beautiful pink cover. And you're on a roll, so tell us about what you've been watching. Well... I saw a beautiful movie and um, it was one that came on at the cinema last year, but um, I never actually went and saw it. It stars um, Wacom Phoenix and it's called Come On, Come On. And it's a story of a sort of an emotionally, not immature, sort of stunted bloke who travels around America. This is Phoenix himself making, um, um, interviewing children and teenagers about the way they see themselves in the world, on the planet, 
sort of climate change, alienation, etc. And he interviews all these kids, but he has no real family of his own. But he does have a sister. She is brilliantly played by Gabby Hoffman. And you sort of think she's a single mother. She's bringing up her son, Jesse, on her own. And she is um, she's sort of separated, married to, but doesn't always live with her partner who um, clearly has some mental health issues and he has a particularly bad episode. He's a musician and she has to go and be with him and she calls on Wacom Phoenix to come and help out with her boy. And it's just a story of this man who has no real, not many close people in his life at so all. So talks to people about their intimate relationships and, and, and their, their connections and, and their thoughts, but doesn't young ever people, re- reveal himself. And doesn't really have a relationship mm-hmm. with young people. Has not seen his nephew, Jesse, for over a year. Moves into their house in LA and has to go to New York where he lives. And um, his sister doesn't want him to do that. She wants him to, but she has to stay with her partner who's getting worse and worse and quite unhinged and ends up has to having to be institutionalised again, doesn't want her to leave him. Then um, the interviews continue. They have an opportunity to go to New Orleans and do more interviews and he takes Jesse with him to New Orleans. It's just, it's part road trip, part family saga, just beautiful observation of a man who comes to life again mm-hmm. through a, a very unusual um, boy who I think was probably... 9, 10, 11 years it's old. It's a well-worn theme, that, isn't it? Thinking it's, about Hugh Grant uh, in, in that wonderful Nick Hornby movie. Yes, it's about, a boy, about a boy. Yep. There, uh, there's, there's a bit of about a boy, but it's less soapy. It's more, it's it's black and white. It's The shots of New York are just absolutely wonderful. It's definitely a drama. Um, both Clem, Brendan and I all individually watched it on planes on the way home. Brendan found it a bit depressing. Clem absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. The um, oh, the boy who plays Jesse, Woody Norman, just steals the show. I mean, people always say that. It's about like kids that kid in, in Jerry Maguire, the kid who softens yeah. Tom Cruise's heart. But this is um, it's fair, it's almost shot documentary style. It's just beautifully done. Wacom Phoenix is really good in it, but Gabby Hoffman is brilliant. She's beautiful in a very unusual way, and Woody Norman's brilliant. So I would recommend Come On, Come On. Corrie, and I think, I don't know if it's still on at the movies. It certainly was earlier this year, but you'll find it on your local streaming service. You've been cooking. Yeah, I, a couple of weeks ago, Caro, I cooked I, I cooked this recipe uh, by Beverly Southern Smith. I cook it probably once a year, and every time I cook it, I think, gosh, I should just have that on constant repeat through winter. It is a cake, but it is actually, I think, better as a serve as a pudding if you're having people over for dinner or something like that because it's a bit gooey. It's absolutely delicious. It's Beverly Sutherland Smith's Caramel Pear Cake. And looking, looking at the little, um, when I was uh, not first married, but I suppose I was, uh, I think Coco might have been born. I can't remember. I suddenly became very domestic and decided to put all of my recipes on these little cue cards. And I have a box of cue cards and I know exactly those recipes because those cue cards were a certain period in the 90s in my life. So this is from the 1990s and I've copied this out of the age because Beverly Sutherland Smith used to do the Tuesday cooking column. Miss Jane will have it all here, but it's a cup of sugar, a third of a cup of water and three firm pears. Don't get gooey ones thinking, oh, they're going in a cake. Get firm ones because they do soften as cooking. 100 grams of butter, two large eggs, a third of a cup of icing sugar, 
half a teaspoon of vanilla essence and a cup of self-raising flour. Goes into it, all goes into a 23-centimetre cake tin and into an oven that is heated at 180. So you put the sugar and water in a saucepan, Caro, and warm it gently so the sugar dissolves and it becomes a bit of a syrup. And then you turn the heat up and cook it until it's a caramel colour, lighter rather than gold, because if you go to gold, it can so easily burn. And into the buttered um, buttered tin, you swirl it around so that the base is coated with this uh, glaze. You peel and quarter pears, arrange the pears on top of the caramel, then you melt the butter, leave to cool until tepid, beat eggs, beat it with the eggs and the sugar and the vanilla essence until frothy, add the melted butter, the sifted flour over the top, stir it in, blah, blah. It becomes like a bit like a batter and dab all of that over the top of the pears that are in the tin. Try not to disturb them. And the batter will spread out as the cake cooks. So if you think it looks a little uneven around the 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 curve of the pear, don't worry, it will all start in the it'll start doing its magic in the oven. And you bake it for 30 minutes or until the center is set. As soon as it comes out, turn it turn it um, turn it upside down on the plate and the caramel will start to stick to the tin. So be careful about that. And just look, it's pretty messy. I don't think I've ever done one that looks perfect like Beverly Sutherland Smith, but you just put cream on. Sounds I always, delicious. I always just drizzle some cream over it and, um, you know, maybe put some flowers or something on the top, but, you know, you get away. I don't know. It just always seems to be a bit of a mess, but put together. It is so delicious and moist. And, of course, now is pear time. Jane it's, will make sense of my little uh, – in fact, Janie, I've, you can't read my handwriting. I'll do it for you. And I did it, as I said, a couple of weeks ago. And why do I not cook this more often? Why don't you cook it for me? At, at, well, um, I will if you you can serve that. You can serve the limoncello. Uh, what did you spritz, call them? A Malfi spritz. Yeah, Malfi spritz. At Tumpton, our last hotel in southern Italy, the nonna, the mother of Luigi, the manager of the hotel, made a different cake for breakfast every day. And we the breakfast oh, was served in this sort of delicious. cave-like room, but there was a beautiful garden. She's so, she's so big we had to squeeze her through the door today, please. Oh, look, this garden, I swear, there was every type of citrus tree. There was nicotiana all through the garden. Remember when we oh, used to all yes. plant nicotiana? And it was yellow and purple. Gosh, there were, that takes me back to the There 70s. were wild blackberries. There were turtles wandering around. And on one day um, she made a chocolate and pear cake, and it wasn't too sweet. It was... I mean, often there was a coconut cake. He cooked from blackberries and blueberries found in this beautiful garden. There was grape vines in this garden, and um, one day, yeah, that, that one day she did a beautiful jam sort of pastry thing. There was such, and you know, you've, at day one you were like, I'm more of a savoury person. Don't really want cake for breakfast. Well, by the fourth day, what she made today? Oh, how beautiful! The chocolate and pear we all love so much. He offered to give us extra for afternoon tea. Isn't that a great combo? Pears and chocolate. Oh, gee, I tell you what, I have to look up a recipe of those. So, Caro, that is BSF uh, for Red Energy. Thanks, Red Energy. And I will just continue to tell you about my grumpy, and I'm sure there are lots of people out there listening who agree to this. You know those security tests that you have to do usually if, if a financial institution is involved or a security to do with your laptop or something? And it says that the grid of nine images come up and that says you oh, have to tick that. We've talked about this I'm before. not a robot. Yep, yep, yep. I'm not a robot. Bikes and bridges. And okay. So the other day I had a big pond issue and I was on my laptop at the same time talking to the lovely Daniel at Telstra, who is in New South Wales. And he said, he, he actually downloaded when he said, oh, you do a podcast. He became a best friend. He's now downloaded. Hi, Daniel. I know you're listening. 
I said to Daniel, I'm going through all this stuff, and I said to Daniel, oh, one of these bloody things have come up. And I said, oh, sorry, Daniel, I shouldn't swear because, of course, it's being recorded for training purposes. Yes. And he said, I know, aren't they annoying? He said, it's so annoying. It says tick the truck and there are only buses and you can't work out. And I said, yes, and Daniel, this one is like put, tick the chimneys. I can barely see a chimney. Okay, and so can I And sometimes they take you through four stages and you yes, do another one yes, and another you're an one. Yes, you haven't got it. But – Okay, so here's a couple of questions to whoever devised this idea of the nine grid images. First of all, you've hired the world's worst photographer. Show me a good, clear photograph of a chimney or a bicycle or a motorcycle or the trees. I'm sorry. And and secondly, why are they always photographed either in some grey Eastern European village or an LA freeway? (laughs) I know. I, I just stopped using. I've stopped nice using cl- Google. I just got a Chrome now because they don't seem to do it as oh much on Chrome. Oh my goodness! So that is my grumpy. I just had to share that because Daniel at Telstra also shared my grumpy, and I thought, well, maybe there are people out there as well who just can't stand that I am not a robot test. So that's my grumpy. Corrie, I'm with you. Now it's time for six quick questions. I'll start. Which speech this weekend warmed your heart? I think Anthony Albanese at Gama, Caro, and he used Gama, the Gama Festival on the weekend up north to reiterate his simple and clear proposition to change the constitution, to enshrine the First Nations voice. I thought the speech was really terrific. It it was received very well from uh, even the Australian raved about it. But particularly last night, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, Monday night, 7.30, Sarah Ferguson had Noel Pearson on. And Noel Pearson... Tough nut to crack. He's not, you know, he's he's pretty harsh about a lot of things, but he was absolutely glowing in his praise and then argued why the speech worked, which was compelling. So I think that was the one that probably Neil Mitchell wasn't so mad on it. Oh, wasn't he? He, I didn't hear. I didn't mind the simple proposal for the um, constitutional change, but don't think everyone agreed with that, but Um, good call. Now, Cara, while you've been away, there's been all hell broken loose at Manly, Um, the, the... Yes, I've followed that story. The, the Sydney Club um, and Manly Pride Guernsey Saga. And I wondered, is religion ever an excuse in your mind? Well, I, I just I just don't like it, Corrie. I mean, you know, I thought Christianity was love thy neighbour as thyself. And all the Pride Guernsey is asking people to do is accept everyone and love everyone. Why is that considered such a radical concept and um, six or seven manly players, um, I think they're all Islanders and on religious reasons they refused to wear the jumper. Man, you know, Manly clearly hadn't communicated this to the players that they were going to ask them to do this. They probably should have, but it's disappointing. And we know um, earlier this year an AFLW player who played for GWS had a similar issue with a pride, a pride jumper. Now, what we're doing is asking people to include everyone. And we're not asking them to include criminals or pedophiles. We're asking them to accept homosexuality and people from all diff- of all different sexual orientations and communities. And I just can't understand why that is a problem for people. And I don't know why Manly have been criticised. I thought it was a wonderful initiative. And how anyone can say that they're being divisive 
or racist is just ridiculous. What a hullabaloo, Caro. It's been a, it's been a big story. Now, um, on your previous theme, um, Archie Roach died on the weekend. What's your favourite Archie Roach moment? Well, the family, of course, has said that media are, are allowed to use Archie's name and images, which has been lovely because it's allowed a, a real outpouring of love and affection and regard for this fine Australian musician. My Archie Roach memory, Caro, is uh, the Black Arm Band burst onto the scene. I saw them for the first time at a show called Moorinduck, which was in about 2006 or 2007 at the State Theatre, a group of Indigenous performers and musicians who were brought together by a really in, clever, clever producer called, uh, I think his name's Steve Richardson. I could be wrong about that. I think that was his name. Anyway, amongst the the plethora of talent, Kutcher Edwards and Lou Bennett, who I love, and Shelley Morris and Dan Sultan, up popped Archie Roach and Ruby Hunter, who were superb and wonderful. And, of course, Archie stopped all of our hearts from beating when he sang Took the Children Away. Said to us, come take care of him. Set us up on mission lane. Told us to read, to write and pray. Then they took the children away. Took the children away. The children away. Snatched from their mother's breast. Said this is for the best. Took them me was a life-changing moment. I'd never heard lyrics like that. It was around the time of the Stolen Generations Royal Commission and I think if we if we believe that words matter, whether they're in books or song, um, this was a profound moment and it changed my life. And thank you, Archie, for that remarkable piece of music. Good call. Now, I want, I'm really interested in your call here. Will Smith's apology to Chris Rock on the weekend, was that Adequate, appropriate? No, I agree. <laughs> it was well. It was it probably was, it probably wasn't inappropriate, but it wasn't adequate, and it was too little, too late. I mean, how long ago were the Oscars? Like, they, they, were they in February or March or something? It was, but it was just cloying to the point of I, I didn't believe it anymore. Well, I, it sounds to me like he's you know having a bit of trouble getting work, and his popularity hasn't exactly rocketed up the scale since he did since he went and slapped Chris Rock and he felt the need to, um, you know, and he's reached out to Chris and he's spoken to oh, Chris can Rock. Can we just ban the term reached out? I don't like it either. There was a lot of me, me, me. It was self-obsessed, movie star crap, thought it was ridiculous, too little, too late. When what about gonna... Damien Hardwick's apology? Where do you stand on that? I wasn't mad to the on VFL that either. Players. I mean, I just thought that, you know, if you're going to apologise, and Damien Hardwick, you know, it wasn't a criminal act, but to, you know, issue a sort of, Director, loud mouth, sort of, you know, expletive ridden tirade at a footballer and sort of say that I'm passionate about my players and what's what makes me good makes me bad. You know, I I didn't buy that. And, you know, evoking the spirit of his mum, you know, his mum's still alive, getting mad at him and he's still scared of his mum. That was a bit Scott oh, Morrison trying to, for me. Yeah, trying to deflect. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. Corey, which soon-to-release movie are you weirdly looking forward to? Barbie. Oh, that is weird. I, I, can't, I can't resist this. They're starting on, on um, the GLT is on Instagram. They're starting to plug it. Ryan Gosling plays Ken and Ken's having a bit of a crisis. And uh, Margot Robbie is Barbie. And what happens is that they're, they're, living, a, they're loving a beautiful, living a beautiful, happy life in Barbie land. But 
Barbie feels there's just a bit more to life than chiffon dresses. <laughs> so they escape Barbie land, or she decides to, and Ken wants to go too. Ken realises that there's a whole new world of opportunity outside Barbie land, and he's having a ball modelling jobs and goodness knows what else, you know, really living the high life. Barbie's doing meaningful work. So is it a we'll, cartoon or one of those half... No, no, no. They turn into people. They're the actual... I mean, really, you should see Ryan Gosling dressed in a pink outfit as Ken. It's fantastic. <laughs> but Will Ferrell plays... Look, it's it, it's not... We're not mentioning Mattel, okay? So Mattel... Over-actor. Ma, no, Ma, Ma, Oh, Carol, he's fabulous. But Mattel is the, the toy company that owns the Barbie brand, right? So we're not saying that this is he's the Mattel CEO, but Will, Fer- Will Ferrell plays the CEO of the toy company who has to get Barbie and Ken back to Toyland or Barbie Land or whatever it's called because the brand is in danger of being trashed because they've both gone rogue. Look, oh, honestly, people are good. saying the lines in it are hysterical. There are a series of scriptwriters who have had um, – like major experience in screen screen um, accolades. I can't remember any of their names, but I can't wait for it. So that's in mid-2023. Maybe, Miss Jane, we could have a Carol and Corrie night at the pictures with the Barbie movie. And don't forget, everyone, we are planning a movie night and we're hoping you can come on the 16th of August to see the Emma Thompson film, Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. Come at 5, 5.30 screening at the Palace Como in South Yarra. Be okay. great to see you. Good plug, Carol. And finally, what's your amazing fact? Well, a couple of Swedish facts, Corrie, one geological and one domestic. Now, as as you know, the wedding was on the archipelago. I didn't realise that there are nearly 30,000 islands. Yes, you I did, because some... I told you this in Amazing yeah, Facts before you went. You did talk about – no, you did talk about that. I, I suppose I didn't realise – I didn't realise that they're expanding and that, you know, it, it's the post-glacial effect that is – cause that. So you know how in so many, and I know you talked about this too, but I don't think I realise that in so many parts of the world, you know, land is being reclaimed. In other parts, it's disappearing. But this post-glacial rebound meant that it wasn't until the Viking age that the present day contours were sort of emerging on the archipelago. It is just one of the most spectacular places. And um, and when we talk about islands, be potties, more. we've got to think about islands come in all shapes and sizes, but some of them really are only oh, less than half a kilometre wide. Some of them are really yeah. quite small, but you'll see a little house on one or They're three or four houses. Just beautiful. That's gorgeous. And, in, and of course, ABBA had their own little island enclave for a while, which you find out at the museum. But um, they're still rising at about three millimetres a year. Um, the population in the 1700s was about two and a half, three thousand. But now it's um, a popular holiday destination. There were 50,000 holiday cottages. And during COVID, for the first time, people started sort of going there in winter and staying there all year round. It would get very cold because it's not exactly warm in summer, but the swimming is beautiful. And the water doesn't taste salty. It's salt water, but not nearly as salty. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. I think it's the second biggest archipelago in Scandinavia. Domestic fact, do you know, because of the weather conditions and the air in Sweden, you can leave a bowl of chips out overnight and eat them the next day? What you do you don't... mean chips? Oh, hot chips. No, like, you know, potato chips, oh, like Colvan chips. Oh, they don't. Like Smith's Crisps. They don't get stale. Oh, okay. You can leave Vitaweets out for four nights. You, nobody has to close the packet on their Don't biscuits. do that. Think of all the skunks or, They're, I don't know, what do they have you in You don't Sweden? have to put your lid on your cereal or muesli. Swedish possums. People don't, 
put lids on things and it's still crunchy the next day. What about the, the Swedish day. ants? I never saw one. What about the Swedish mice? Corrie, it's pretty interesting, don't you reckon? You can leave <laughs> stuff uncovered overnight. I suppose. No need for glad wrap. To cover your chips, your biscuits, your crackers, no, but your sweet biscuits. Oh, yeah, oh, look, or your there's muesli. a grizzly bear, but don't worry about him because we can leave the rivetas out overnight. Oh, I try to impress you <laughs> with my facts. I'm impressed. No, look, I'm impressed that you've done the research. That's pretty good. Um, and um, it's pretty good that we've had a very long show today, but I'm so glad you're back. We Lots so to catch much, up on. We so had much so more to much say. much to talk about. As you can tell, bodies, Carol and I have not caught up because she just flew in literally a minute ago. So it's been so nice to hear everything. And as I said, Miss Jane, our wonderful producer, will have photographs of weddings, parties, anything, everything on our Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account and everywhere else. Thank you to our podcast show sponsors, Red Energy and, of course, Prince Wine Store. And don't forget Miles's special package if you go to princewinestore.com.au and click on uh, our page and then put in MEWS, you get all those wonderful discounts. And, of course, we're on Instagram, Facebook. We tweet, not very often, but we're supposed to do that more regularly, I think. And, Caro, we look forward to catching up again next week with Jane. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's Most Trusted Energy Providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au.